the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 31 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Matt Neglia, and joining me for this episode, I have Kristen Lopez. Hello. And joining us back from his trip from Italy, where he was living out the film Call Me By Your Name, we have Michael Schwartz. <laughs> it never gets Hello, old. everyone. Nice to be back. <laughs> so, Michael, how was Italy? Italy was amazing. I was in uh, the Florence area the entire time and would just urge anybody who has a desire to go just to do it because it's a tremendous trip. That's awesome. That's really, really yeah, cool. I had a blast. Out of curiosity, did you get to watch any movies on the plane or a- anything at all? I watched two movies on the plane, and the thing about watching a movie on the plane for me is that I don't want to see anything new, just because it's like not the best environment to be watching in, obviously. Sure. So uh, I rewatched Florence Foster Jenkins, which they had on the plane. Florence, Italy, Florence Foster Jenkins, it yes, makes sense. Yes, which I, as I was watching, I was like, oh, what a coincidence there. And then I uh, had some other things on my iPad that I was going to start watching, but uh, I turned on a little bit of uh, Woody Allen's Husbands and Wives because I wanted to see Judy Davis, since she's so good on Feud right now. Mm. But uh, after that, I just wanted to relax a little bit, so I ended up watching Seinfeld the rest of the time. <laughs> nice, nice. Kristen, did you uh, get a chance to watch anything this week? Um, well, other than Life, which we'll talk about at some point over the weekend, uh, I saw The Zookeeper's Wife. Oh, boy. I want to see that. <laughs> it's fine. I really want to see that. Okay, that's fair. Okay. I wanted it to be better for being two hours, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I going to love it, Kristen? You know, I don't think it's a Michael movie either. I think really? I think you'll just say it's fine. Well, what I mean, what are you expecting? The pull at your heartstrings Holocaust story. Nah, I, yeah, I get maybe it's. A, I think the I think the Jews are replaced by animals as far as heartstrings are no, concerned. No, I'm gonna say nope. it's the other way around. Oh, okay, that's what the trailers are making it look like to me. And depending on how much Chastain you want, you might be disappointed. <laughs> oh shit! Is Daniel Brühl like? Co-billion no, he, oh no, he's like third. Oh, so who's really the focus? It's on really this? more like her husband. Wow, who's yeah. her husband? Some dude I didn't know. Interesting, but she's really the center of attention in all the yeah. marketing. Ultimately. Yeah, which is really weird. I mean, she's she's great. You can never get a bad Jessica Chastain performance, but I I think I had a set of expectations that were just not met. Um, mm. So it's it's fine if you've seen. I hate to say if you've seen a Holocaust drama, you pretty much have seen the majority of the movie. Um, and also, too, Jessica Chastain just turned 40, actually, uh, yesterday, did. I believe it was. Um, I thought this would be a good moment probably to ask uh, both of you. If um, one, what do you think is her best performance? 
And two, uh, which film would you have given her a nomination for that she did not get a nomination for? I, I always say her my favorite performance of hers that's her best that didn't get nominated is uh, Most Violent Year. Mm, that's She's good. She's so goddamn good in that movie. Michael? Wait, and what about the best, Kristen? Oh, I think she combined it, too. Oh, that, that was the best, too? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, for me, I would say my favorite is The Help. I think she's just terrific there. And uh, I gave Octavia Spencer my personal win that year, but Chastain was right behind as a very close number second. Or no, number two, I'm sorry. I can't even talk today. <laughs> number second. <laughs> you got to leave that in. <laughs> I will. And uh, as for what I think she should have been nominated for, I'm going to agree with Kristen and say uh, a most violent year. All right. Uh, I my, my best and my performance of hers that I think should have been nominated, I'm actually holding it in my hand right here. Miss Sloan. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Tree of Life. <laughs> oh, no, no. That is a uh, oh, great segue, Kristen. Um, I need to take a moment to get on a pedestal, and I need to talk about Terrence Malick for a moment. Not a fan, Matt. I still have not posted my review for Song to Song yet. Um I'm finding it incredibly difficult to write the review for this movie, and what I have written so far is less of a review of, a review of song to song. Like, there's a paragraph summary of what the plot is about, but realistically, there is no plot, and it's more so like an essay on what the hell has Terrence Malick been doing these past couple of years, and how much I just absolutely hate it. Well, aren't his movies more about themes and ideas that he has rather than actual story? So I've coined a term. Actually, I hope I've coined this term. Somebody's going to steal it now once they listen to me over the air here. But you know how there's such a thing as a music video? Terrence Malick has created a form of cinema that I like to call film video. And this is basically randomly assembled shots that are edited very disjointly in in either a very um, long take or sporadic quick take manner. And then also... um, put over not music like a music video would be but just over this the, these voiceover dialogue um, or just some orchestral score of some sort it, it's literally like watching a music video at this point watching his movies and sometimes when you watch a music video sometimes um you know you have the theme of the song itself and then you have the theme of the video sometimes they're the same sometimes they're not and they're two different things um Sometimes it's open to interpretation and you never really understand it and there, there could be multiple meanings to it. I really get the sense that Malik's films, there is a plot in there somewhere. Like he has an idea of like what he wants to say, but as an audience member, it's it's just open to interpretation and you could take just one shot of that movie and that one shot could represent the whole movie to you and that might be different from me than it is for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's something that I find to be very interesting, like looking at a painting on a wall and finding that there's multiple hidden meanings within that painting. The problem that I have is that I don't stare at that painting for two hours and nine minutes, where with a Malick film, I have to do that. That is the problem here. I think Malick belongs in music videos at this point in his career, not in cinema. It's interesting because I think this has like exactly a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes or something around that. Is that correct? Uh, something like that, yeah. S- something in the 50 range. 
So that's really showing that there's just about an even split between people who seem to really love and embrace what he's doing in the later part of his career and other people who have similar feelings to you who are just sort of fed up with this new style that he's taken on. And uh, I don't think there's really a right or a wrong here because you can't really say anything is subjective when looking at art. I, I agree with you, but I don't think the cinematic medium is the right place for it because at the end of the day here, I believe, and this is a belief, that the cinematic medium is there to tell stories. And I don't think Malick is telling a story anymore. And that is what is upsetting me to a certain extent. Like, take another director um, uh, like, hold on, the name the name is escaping me. Who's the guy that directed Primer and Upstream Color? Shane Carruth. Yes. Take somebody like him, right? There is still a story to be told. It's told in a very abstract and very odd sort of way um, in a very unique style, but there's still a story there. Malick's films now just... You know, it's like you have two actors. You have Rooney Mara and Ryan Gosling in a scene, and they start talking. And one, you could tell the, the dialogue is improvised. And as soon as they start talking about something interesting, the camera just cuts away. And we don't actually get a full fleshed out dialogue scene between two actors that, let's face it, that's the reason why majority of people are going to see these movies, is to see these actors. So we're being deprived of what it is that we're ultimately going to the movie to see. Do you think it's a form of like an art prank almost what he's doing? Because every time I hear uh, someone talk about how Terrence Malick works, they make it out to be like he knows exactly what he's doing and there's a reason for every movement he makes. And he even said a little bit of that when he was at South by Southwest last week. I think that during the shooting process, I bet you he knows what he's doing during that time. But I think once he gets into the editing process, I mean, his his films stay in the editing lab or in the Avid or whatever the hell it is he's using for almost a year. And I think they just get tinkered and toyed with to death. Yeah. And it's interesting because you'll see somebody like uh, Matt Zoller Seitz of uh, RogerEbert.com praise this new form of Malik. I know he wasn't necessarily crazy about song to song, but uh, I think the style he really took to. So when you see something like that, it's just very interesting because uh, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I think I would fall close to, to your reaction from what I know about it. Yeah. But uh, it's just very interesting to me to see the divide here. And there's not necessarily a right or a wrong. It's just, I guess, how we interpret things. You know, I keep saying um, with Tree of Life, I welcome the new style. I thought it was bold. I thought it worked. I think that out of the last four films he's made, I think Tree of Life is the one film that actually has um, his themes and his quote-unquote story um, more front and center than the others. To the Wonder was just a jumbled mess um, that fits into this wheelhouse of like randomly cut, like assembled images that are trying to speak to a certain theme and only half so do, and it's just incredibly boring. Um Knight of Cups, some will argue, was a little bit more focused, but the length was definitely a huge issue for me on that one. It just plotted along way too long. And now with Song to Song, it's the same exact problem. So it's interesting because I had originally thought to myself, maybe Tree of Life to the Wonder Knight of Cups is like part of like an experimental trilogy of some sort, right? And maybe he'll get back to um, his meditative storytelling if he did with stuff like The New World, um, The Thin Red Line, and things like that. That is the Malik that I really, really loved. Um, but now with Song to Song, 
this is four films in a row now that's embracing this new cinematic style. I think it works best on the Tree of Life. And I think at the time when that film came out, we hailed it as something that was, you know, kind of groundbreaking and it got a lot of acclaim. But at this point, it's like the experiment, quote unquote, doesn't seem to be an experiment anymore. It seems to be his style. And I think people are starting to get turned off by it. And I, like I said, I've said it last year with Knight of Cups that I thought I was done with Malik films. I can emphatically say now with Song to Song that I am truly done. Unless if reviews come out ahead of time and they say that it's a return to form to stuff like Badlands and Days of Heaven or something like that, I'm 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 done. I just can't. It's not for me at this point. Uh, I get it. I really do. I always say, watch what you enjoy. If you know that you're not going to like something, even if uh, somebody's saying you should see it or it's this acclaimed, if you know in your heart it's not going to be something for you, why waste the time? Life's too short. Mm-hmm. Kristen, how do you feel about all of this? Um, well, you guys know the last Malick movie I loved was The New World, so I haven't loved anything since. And yeah. You didn't like The Tree of Life? No, hated it. Um, oh. And when the trailer for Song to Song came out and everybody said, oh, this one might have a plot, I was like, nope, I think just somebody knows how to cut a trailer. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to see it. What you're saying essentially is that Fassie can't save this, uh, this one. Oh, no. No, he definitely can't. <laughs> and I mean, let me tell you, every time I, I love all these actors, you know, every time they came on screen, it was like, oh, man, this is what I came here for. I didn't really come here for Malik because I'm done with Malik and his style. I came here to see what these actors can do. But Malik does not allow them to do anything. And that's the problem. Yeah, fassie has been uh, on a bit of a downhill spiral of late. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry. He'll get back there. I mean, <laughs> he's he's no, come on. He's <laughs> way too good to fade into obscurity like this i'm still waiting to jump on the fassy bandwagon <laughs> are you kidding me seriously shame 12 years a slave these movies I, I didn't think do 12 a few? years a slave is tremendous and i think he's great in that but everything else i find myself a little cold afterwards there was a dirty mm. joke in there and i'm not gonna say it <laughs> oh shame 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 ding 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 <sighs> anyways shame is still a great movie to watch on christmas at my house <laughs> I want to move over to something different here. Um, I also had a chance this week to see an early screening of Gifted with Chris Evans. Yeah, so tell me about this because I uh, need to be convinced. I heard some really great praise from that from a fellow critic of mine that I respect. <laughs> I don't. You don't respect me, Kristen. Um, yeah, I, another okay, another <laughs> fellow critic that I respect. Oh, well. Anyways. Um, <laughs> I I actually went into this thinking, <sighs> okay, formulaic plotting. I know how this ends. I'm really not looking forward to this to a certain degree. And you know what? It's an audience crowd pleaser. It's lovely. It's Michael. It's that rare movie where I can see you giving a high praise. Normally, where I would shoot it down as being like, oh, this is way too predictable and yada yada yada. But it got to you at the end, didn't it? There's one scene that really did rip my heart out and got me close to tears. I, I, and that alone uh, bumped it up one full point for me on my scale. I ended up giving it a seven out of ten in my review. All right. Well, let me ask you this because I see the trailer almost every time I go to the movies lately. Sure. And uh, I mean, just in front of everything, it seems like. And in theory, this does seem like a movie I should be excited for because it's you know. Nice, light, enjoyable entertainment, yep. it seems like. Oh, yeah. But there's something that strikes me in the wrong way while watching the trailer. And it's that when uh, 
from what I could tell in the plot that the grandmother comes and wants this little girl to uh, unlock her full potential through a, a better school and a better environment. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. So, and then the uncle played by uh, Avengers guy, what's his face? Uh, Chris, Chris Evans. Yes, I always get him and Chris Pratt mixed up. How dare you? <laughs> I always get him and Luke Evans mixed up. How fucking dare you? <laughs> anyway, uh, Cap- so she lives with Captain America, and he's like sort of denying her this education. And I get it so that she he could like keep her uh, sane in a sense. Mm-hmm. But does the movie ever like toy with the idea that what he's doing is wrong and what she's doing might be better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely an argument to be made. Because, I mean, looking at the trailer, I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't you just go with the grandmother and have a better life? Yeah, there's definitely an argument to be made. And what I actually appreciated is that, is that there was a history between um, Chris Evans and his mother in this movie that gets uh, fleshed out a little bit more. And also with his sister, too, who's the true mother of uh, his niece. Okay. So is it like Captain Fantastic a little bit? I think Captain Fantastic is better, even though I think I graded them exactly the same grade. Well, I mean, just in terms of like the themes, like it doesn't let a certain character off the hook. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think it presents both sides equally. The issue is that the first two acts I think are great. The third act, um, I think, brings the movie down. And that's when I was originally going to give it a 6 out of 10. But uh, like I said, there was there was one scene in the movie where I got choked up. And if you can get me to show that kind of emotion, um, traditionally I, I favor you a little bit more. Um, so I, I bumped it up, uh, uh, one, one point higher. So really this is more of like a six out of 10 for me, which is like in the, you know, it's good. It's not bad. It's not amazing. Um, but I bumped it up to that seven because of, you know, like I said, if you could get me to shed some tears and I heard some sniffles in the audience too, at some point, and my audience was really, really into the movie. Um, the, the girl played by McKenna Grace is absolutely a revelation in this. She is phenomenal. Her facial expressions, her attitude, um, her line delivery, she just absolutely nails uh, this socially awkward yet extraordinarily brilliant uh, child. It's really, really, really well done. And Chris Chris Evans, he's solid. I've never seen him in a role like this before um, where he's just kind of playing like the straight – uh, leading guy that's not like in an action movie. Um, he's just like an ordinary dude. But I think he's definitely miscast. But I think that what he does is still solid at the end of the day, if that makes sense. Like he, like he, like he's like way, way too buff and hot for this, like this role. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it just seems like it's miscast. It seems like one of those things where it's like, okay, we'll let you make your movie, but you have to cast one of the Avengers guys in the lead role. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, okay, Mark Webb, you're not doing Spider-Man anymore, but we'll hand you over one Avenger for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do appreciate that Mark Webb went back to a more restrained, uh, directing style with this. Um, I don't even know what his style is. He goes from 500 days of summer to Spider-Man than to this. And it's not like he's anything really before or in the middle to judge by. It's sort of like schizophrenic. It keeps going like from one to the other. I'll tell you this much. Critics will either say that they appreciate the fact that he does not let um, some of his directing sensibilities from something like 500 Days of Summer um, get in the way of the story and the performances. And then there are some people that'll say that his directing is bland and that he adds absolutely nothing to it. Um, 
I fall into the category of I know this guy could do some very unique things from a directorial standpoint, um, as evidenced by his previous three films. And I think that he showed incredible restraint with this. So I appreciated that. I think the story called for it. And I think that uh, I think that it's, you know, it's a fine it's a fine little movie. All right. All right. Let's move over to some questions. Some fan questions here. All right. Who do we got? We've got Matt St. Clair. I like this one. Name a comedic performance that was snubbed egregiously by the Academy. <laughs> so before we started, I was saying to uh, Matt and Kristen that I saw this question uh, right before we were going to record. And I just had to like pull up a list of all these great performances as references. And I listed so many that I loved that didn't get Oscar nominations. Like I could go on and on here. It's such a great question, but I'm interested to hear what the two of you think first. Um, there's a lot that can be said for this because um, there's, to your point, there's so many throughout history. Um, it's very easy for us to say a recent one like Haley Steinfeld in The Edge of Seventeen, for example. Yeah, there, there's there's just so many. Uh, I, I think the best way to answer a question like this is whatever just pops into my head first, ultimately. Kristen, what do you think? Um, well, I'm, I'm going to go with some, some funny ladies because I don't think the ladies get a lot of praise in the comedic field. Um, so, like, yeah, Haley Steinfeld would probably be the most recent. Um, I would also say Amy Adams for Enchanted. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah, God, yes. She should have won that year as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I loved her in that. And uh, Nicole Kidman for To Die For. Mm-hmm. I, I, oh, I my love, gosh. I love that movie. I love her in it. That movie just... That movie just needs more love and, and attention because it's perfect. It's a great movie. Oh, I, I, I think it definitely has love and attention uh, to the point where I, I, I browse uh, Reddit, uh, the subreddit movies all the time, and that movie always gets continuously brought up to, to one degree or another. Um, Krista, you may not like the context in which it was brought up a lot last year, but Casey Affleck. Yeah, he's interviews. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the movie is phenomenal. It is. When when I met uh, Ileana Douglas at the TCM Film Festival like two or three years ago, the first thing I asked her is like, you have to tell me about Making to Die For because I love that movie so much. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, I love the Amy, Amy Adams pick. That's Yeah, uh, that's a really, really great pick. Um, I would also argue for, um, and I know this is kind of maybe cliche to say, but I, I mean, I'll never stop beating the drum for it. Jim Carrey should have gotten at least one nod. He really should have. Um, and I would have done it for the Truman Show, in all honesty. You guys don't agree? Sure. I, I could see it, yeah. I, I like the Truman Show, but I think... Uh... No, I mean, he's definitely very good. I'm trying to think what I would give it to him for. Oh, the nomination or? The nomination, yeah. I mean, I think in terms of his comedic performances, I'd actually have uh, some degree of pathos to it. Um, I've heard a lot of people admire his work in Liar Liar a lot. I I think he's really good in a series of unfortunate events. Mm. I wouldn't give him the nomination for it. Uh, I just think he's uh, very good there. Mm. And you know what else? Man on the Moon. That's a great one. I was going to say, most would say Man on the Moon. You know what? Here's an uh, here's an out of left field one. <laughs> what about something like Brad Pitt and Snatch? I haven't seen the movie, so. Well, I was actually going to mention Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading. I was waiting for <gasps> someone to say that. I've never seen that movie. You've never seen Burn After Reading? No, it's oh, my, so it's my, my Cohen's God. blind Kristen, spot. When we're done recording, you have to watch it. It is <laughs> one of my all-time 
I guess you could call it a cult favorite because it didn't really take off when it opened. But uh, John Malkovich has the oh best God. emphasis of swearing I've ever heard in my life in that movie. Tilda Swinton, uh, Francis McDormand, the, pretty much the whole ensemble of Burn After Reading deserved something. That movie uh, definitely got overlooked a ton upon its theatrical release, but I think that uh, it's been discovered a lot more by people yeah. as time has gone on. I mean, it was then and it still is now. That's my favorite movie of 2008. Oh, wow. Really? Uh-huh. Damn. That's crazy. But uh, Burn After Reading. You know who I would say my pick is for uh, an, a performance that should have got nominated from the comedic category? Meg Ryan and When Harry Met Sally. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. That's another film blind spot. I have to see that. No! Why? Oh, my God. You've never seen When Harry Met Sally? No. Actually, you know what? Why do I get the feeling that Kristen wouldn't like this movie, actually, Michael? I don't know. Why do you get it? <laughs> Because Billy Crystal is kind of a douchebag. So that doesn't mean I'm not gonna like it. Well, I don't know. You you it's should you should though. really look through my 2017 film challenges list because you might be surprised to see what movies I'm acknowledging I've never watched. Listen, <laughs> listeners out there, that was a that was a plug for all of you that didn't get it. Go on and check out Kristen's uh, 2017 film challenges list. Yes, on Letterbox. Uh, yes, and be sure cause... to tweet to her on Twitter to yell at her. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, I'm sure you've seen this one. What about Jamie Lee Curtis in Freaky Friday? Oh, of course I have. She's great in that. That movie's great. Who doesn't love that movie? I I think if Diane Keaton could get in for a comedic performance that year in a non-Oscary movie, I think Jamie Lee Curtis should have been considered too. And she got a Golden Globe nomination, so maybe she wasn't that far off. Um, I have my two winners, I just realized. Um, my, I've been thinking about it a little bit in my mind mentally as I'm kind of sifting through, um, performances. I have my two, uh, Peter Capaldi in, in the loop, I think is absolutely hysterical in that movie and does some of the most creative swearing I've ever heard in my life. Um, and a performance that I know will make Will very happy for me mentioning, uh, I absolutely adore Colin Farrell in In Bruges. Yeah, I think it's his best performance of his career. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I uh, he won the he won the Golden Globe that year surprisingly, and it was so well deserved. I was so happy. Well, you know what? That's a really good segue. Uh, it is because we have two trailers to review here on the podcast, and I think that it's appropriate now that we segue into our first trailer here. This is the trailer for Martin McDonough, the writer director of *In Bruges* and *Seven Psychopaths*. His uh, latest film here called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri." What's along what you can and cannot say on a billboard? I assume you can't say nothing defamatory, and you can't say "fuck, piss, or cunt." That right? Or Anus? I think I'll be all right then. I guess you're Angela Hayes' mother. That's right. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. So, Mildred Hayes, why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. What the hell is this? Dixon, I'm in the middle of my goddamn Easter dinner. Sorry, kids. I know, Chief, but I think we got kind of a problem. Sunshine beating on a good time. I'd do anything to catch your daughter's killer. I don't think those billboards is very fair. The time it took you to get out here whining like a bitch, Willoughby. Some other poor girl's probably out there being butchered right now. We've had two official complaints about those billboards. From who? There's a lady with a funny eye 
A lady with a funny fucking eye? Yeah, Fat Dennis. There's a lot of good friends of Willoughby in this town, Miss A. Ow! Ah! You didn't happen to drill a little hole in the dentist today, did you? Of course not. Huh? I said, of course not. I'm sorry about Angie, but the town is dead set against these billboards. You know who threw that can? What can? How about you, sweetheart? Uh, no, I, I didn't really... Go, girl. Hey, fuckhead! What? Don't say what, Dixon, when she comes in calling you a fuckhead! The more you keep a case in the public eye, the better your chances are getting it solved. And when I see the sign... You know, if you hadn't stopped coming to church, you'd have a little bit more understanding of people's feelings. All this anger, man. It just begets greater anger. In three, two, one. And as sad as the spectacle of these billboards might be, this reporter, for one, hopes this finally puts an end to the strange saga of the three billboards outside. Then put an end to shit, you fucking retard. This is just a fucking start. Why don't you put that on your Good Morning Missouri fucking wake up broadcast, bitch? funny trailer in my opinion francis mcdormand yes francis mcdormand francis mcdormand yes just give her whatever highest honor there is for the arts even above the oscars because she deserves it oscar nomination do we foresee it happening for this i could see it yeah i would say cautiously pencil it in for now i saw a brief clip of her crying uh at one point um, I'm telling you right now, with all this level of uh, humor, um, there seems to be some physicality involved. Um, she's got a crying scene. It's checking off all the boxes here. I'm just saying. I, I could definitely see it. She's someone who could have a second Oscar. She won in 96 for Fargo. Mm-hmm. She's only gotten better since. I mean, I don't know how many of you saw Olive Kitteridge on HBO. Oh, she was amazing in that. Yeah, like as great as the 2014 actress lineup was for the most part, uh, I think she was better than all of them. That was just extraordinary. Was anybody else getting a Coen Brothers vibe from the look, the writing, just the overall tone of the movie? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely uh, got a lot of that here. Although, I think that what Martin McDonough does a lot with um, his previous two films is he does add a degree of uh, gravitas um, to all the vulgarity and the outlandish, uh, some might say very campy acting. Uh, There's um, usually something to be found when you peel the layers back in his screenplays. I mean, I know he's a very acclaimed uh, playwright in uh, Ireland, I believe. And so... Well, he also goes to Broadway, too. Oh, he does. And his stuff does really well there. Yeah, he had a play with Daniel Radcliffe about three years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's really well-known, uh, even outside And of- the fact that this uh, movie is um, addressing uh, police and how maybe there's... Uh, I-, I don't want to say police corruption, because that just feels like a very um, old theme, but more so police irresponsibility, let's say. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very timely subject that could also possibly land this a screenplay nomination. Maybe. Oh, I think so. I think it's uh, like in that lobster category, sort mm. of, that uh, very, I don't want to say wordy because the lobster wasn't that, but uh, 
very creative, uh, the type of premise that it raises a few eyebrows. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has a line in the trailer where she just point blank just says, you're out there, um, you know, bashing in uh, like black people's skulls instead of looking for my daughter's killer. It's like, holy shit, like this movie's going for it in terms of trying to be yeah. somewhat timely here. You know what I mean? It's a little muted, though, considering it's all white people talking about white people. Oh, that's a very good point. Well, it is Missouri, well, too. <laughs> I mean, I... The trailer, I'm just saying the setting dictates that. <laughs> the, the trailer I thought was was fine. Um, I it, Keep in mind, it took me a, a couple viewings before I really enjoyed Seven Psychopaths. Um, Colin Farrell was, was the reason I went and saw it, and then eventually I was like, oh, okay, this movie's really funny. Um, mm-hmm. But this... I don't know if maybe it was the way the Red Band trailer presented things. I thought that the use of the language was just, it didn't seem integrated into some of the lines. Just kind of seemed like we're just going to try to put fuck in the every sentence that we can. That could just mm-hmm. be how they spliced and edited things together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of just turning me off. Um, the plot looks interesting, though. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, definitely. Um do we think this is Woody Harrelson's year? Nah. Year two. I, I say it's always, isn't it always kind of his year? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm saying year to win. I, I can't help but feel like he's got a project in, in this year somewhere. Uh, it's going to have to happen, I feel like, in supporting actor at some point. Am I right? Uh, I think he'll continue to put in the work and get nominated. I don't know that a win is inevitable, but he always does good stuff. If there was a time for it to be a done deal, I think you need to go back to like the 90s, uh, right after Cheers, uh, during Larry Flint and all of that, like when he was a huge, huge star. Not that he isn't now, but yeah, he, he still has he sells the goods, put it that way. Yeah, and he's able to go back and forth contain, uh, continuously between film and television and still manage to get nominations in both sides of the pond. And I mean, pretty much everybody loves him. I, I just can't help but feel like it's a matter of just finding the right role at some point. Um, the Messenger, that was his last nomination, and he's really good in that. Yeah, no, he's amazing in The Messenger. Um, that was really good, you're right. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee, and we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me, at film underscore faculty, or Lee, at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Uh, all right, so let's move back over to uh, some fan questions here. Uh, we have <laughs> we have Al Robinson, Al Rob underscore MN on Twitter. Are you guys excited for Fast and the Furious 8? Do you think this should be the last one? It should have been the last one two movies ago. I think the last one yeah. uh, <laughs> with Paul Walker, that should have been the last one. I don't like the fact we're getting another one. Well, it's interesting because I'm going to answer no to both of these questions. No, I am not excited for it simply because this is not really my type of movie. That's just me speaking. But I don't think it should be the last one, and here's why. Because there's still people who are very much excited for this type of thing. And it's almost like the bigger and crazier it gets, the more on board people seem to be for it. 
And even if the last one, uh, what was it, seven, uh, wrapped it up in a nice and neat package, there's always going to be an audience for this, it seems. And it brings in money for the studio so that they could maybe put out uh, the mid-level movies that we seem to uh, gravitate towards. So you think the marketplace needs this? I think it's healthy in a sense that we get more stuff from it. It's funny to me. It's it's almost surreal, I think, that it's... I think this franchise has been going on for, what, 16 years? Since 2001, I think it is. Um, yeah. And I remember going to see the first one in theaters very vividly. And I remember when these movies were just about, like, a remake of Point Break, where, you know, it was about street racing and, you know, good cop on the wrong side of the law type of thing. And now, watching the trailer for this new one... It's like the A-team on steroids, um, and there's just nothing relatable for me in it anymore. Um, I'm a sporad. I've seen the first one. I think I've seen, like, five in there, and then I've seen, like, this last one. So I tend to kind of come and go with the franchise. I find the trailer to be hilarious, and I'm not saying that if I it's on Redbox or... It, it's cheap somewhere that I might... Hell, I might get a screener for it. We got sent screeners through OFCS for the last film. So if I get a free copy of it, I'll watch it. But there's no... I don't know if I'd go to a press screening. Maybe if time permitted. Um, but I'm not excited for this at all. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely think 7 should have been the last summer, one. Summertime itself, I think, that's that's got a prime summer spot, right? Mm-hmm. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if I do end up going to see that because looking at some of the summer movies this year, it's uh, pretty muted, I think, for the most part for me. Well, it's early summer, like early, early as in two weeks. Uh, well, okay. for the record, too, I want to comment on this really quick. Um, do you know, like, in my opinion, I, I don't think the summer blockbuster season is even a phrase anymore. It really isn't because summer essentially starts at the end of March, beginning of August or April now. When you have Kong, Logan, and Beauty and the Beast coming out in March and making the money that they do. And then if you you can make an argument for February with uh, Lego Batman. Sure. Maybe John Wick Chapter 2. That's uh, yeah, a little bit more niche. But you're right. March is when we start seeing uh, these blockbuster films now start to happen. And I don't think it's a seasonal thing anymore for blockbuster films, just as how I think what might maybe start to happen in the future is the September to December period for Oscar films, I think, are going to just keep on getting pushed back into August, uh, July, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think we're going to have seasons anymore. I think it's just going to be an onslaught of uh, blockbusters all year long because that's the way the industry is heading towards. And the more of those that they can make, the more of those smaller films they also can put out and – you see what I'm you see what I'm getting at here? The marketplace is ultimately just changing. You're always going to have a push of more prestigious titles towards the end of the year. But I think as there are more blockbusters that come out uh, in every month, you're also going to have uh, films to counter that. So even if they're not like uh, top Oscar best picture contenders, you'll see something like, uh, I don't know, maybe like a Noah Bumbach film here or there or something from Rebecca Miller just like smaller Sony Pictures Classics type of uh, titles to counteract. There you go. Alrighty, let's ask another question here. 
This one is from Hello, it's Pau, P-A-U, on Twitter, Hello, it's Pau XO. What up-and-coming actors are most likely to become Academy Award nominated? Oh, God, that requires. What are we classifying yeah. as up and comer? Like, would Oscar Isaac still be an up no. and comer? No, he... I would. I would say no. Um, I would maybe make an argument, even though I maybe this is pushing it. Um, John Boyega. No, I wouldn't say that. Okay, you don't think he's up and coming still? I or do you I think, think Star, Star Wars, Wars like... made? He's like here. <laughs> okay, all right, that's fair. Um. That's the right, tough part. Bit. Like, I'm not really tapped into the to the up and coming, the zeitgeist. Um, I'm terrible with that. Like, what's developing? <laughs> All right, let's get a little bit more obscure hmm. then. Um, uh, how about you know what, Daphne Keen? Oh, if Logan okay. Is any indication? Um, I, I, I mean, come on. You know, I mean, all she needs is Alfonso Cuaron to give her a project, and we're off to the races. <laughs> uh, anybody? Oh, what about what about Yovan Adepo from uh, Fences? Possibly. Yeah. I'm trying to find somebody that's like in that sweet spot of like they have a good performance here and there, and they just need like something to just catapult them. I can't think of. Okay, anybody. here's one. Uh- if I can remember his name, from uh, Little Men, a film I talked about when we were doing uh, the awards a couple months ago, Michael Barbarelli, yes. one of the kids from that mm-hmm. film. I remember you talked about this one highly. Yeah. He's uh, so great in that, and uh, he's actually going to be in the new Spider-Man this summer. Oh, okay. So there you go. So there you go. You start to build up. Mm-hmm. Oh, also uh, the girl from The Nice Guys. Oh, Angory Rice. Mm, yeah. Because yes. she's, she's going to be in The, the Beguiled, the Beguiled, right? Yeah. She's also in Spider-Man. Oh, so you know what? She's she, so then she knows how to pick them. Essentially, yeah. Let's let's just look at the Spider-Man cast and pick all the kids. <laughs> there you go. That's that's a good place to start. Because <laughs> um, I mean, that just has everybody. Yeah, definitely. All righty, and then uh, what else do we have here? Last question, and then we'll get back to some more uh, news at that point. This one comes from Kelechi uh, at Geekmind UK. If you could change one thing about the Oscars, what would it be? I think we've answered this before. Well, I think that maybe we based upon this uh, from a category standpoint before. Um, this seems to be just a little bit more vague. Try to keep it outside of categories okay. as far as what you'd like to have added. Uh, what is one thing you would add or change, essentially? Go on, Michael. I would say have somebody monitor the accountants backstage. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> I would like to see change. (sighs) If you want my honest opinion, I would love a more female host because I still think that we get for every one female host, we get like eight years of men hosting. Um, And I've all maybe because I love classic film, but I miss when it was like a nice little dinner we gave out the award. I'm sick of the gimmicks, is what I'm saying. Like, I don't need the gimmickry to propel a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour show. Just, like, I almost miss the globe atmosphere when it's just, like, people eating and we give out the awards and it's a nice time and all of that. Even though I don't always love how uh, monotonous it could be, I do like the pomp and circumstance because it's unlike any other award show that there is. And that's what sort of draws me to it. The 
flashy, over-the-top nature of the Oscars. When you go back and look at uh, the ceremonies back from the 1970s and see Liza Minnelli doing an original song about the Oscar with these uh, backup dancers in top hats, I mean, that's just amazing See, to when me. Michael goes back to the classic days of the Oscars, it's the 70s. When I think back on the classic days of Oscars, it's like the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> I would challenge Academy voters to have an open mind throughout the entire year, not just from September to December. I think they're starting to. I I, I know that that's true. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, Mad Max Fury Road, um, Hell or High Water. Yeah. And also, I just read a piece last week from, I believe it was The Hollywood Reporter, that some of these uh, studios are starting to hold Academy screenings. And there are two titles right now that are really, uh, members are responding very well to them. What's that? And uh, I think you're going to be surprised by one of them. The first is Get Out, which uh, a lot of people in the mainstream have been talking about. Mm -hmm. But the Academy has really taken on to, apparently. I could definitely see that as a screenplay possibility. Uh, Yeah, definitely. And the other, I listened to your review, and I know both of you weren't crazy about it. I'll be seeing it uh, today, hopefully. Beauty and the Beast. Well, Beauty and the Beast, I think, is a given as far as costumes and production design uh, for the most part. Yeah. Especially costumes. If anything, I think it's definitely getting costumes. I don't think it's getting anything more than that, though. So those two. And uh, I've even heard some people say, uh, Logan, I I was talking to somebody yesterday who is not the type of person who would see a superhero film, but they heard the reviews for Logan. They didn't even know it was connected to X-Men or anything like that. They saw it and they loved it. I guess they were just taken in by uh, the emotion of it. Yeah, Logan is a very um, rare film in that it's less of a superhero movie and more of a different kind of a genre. Like how The Dark Knight was less of a superhero movie, more of a crime thriller. Logan is definitely a Western, more so than anything. And I think that's what's got many people hesitant about the genre in general, kind of flocking towards it and definitely embracing it. Um, And we've talked about that extensively um, on our review of the film before. Um, I'd like to see more filmmakers kind of try to push the envelope with that. You know, it's like, if you really want to make a film that the Academy does not typically like, um, say something like sci-fi, then make a sci-fi that isn't a sci-fi film, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Like like Gravity, okay? People will say Gravity is sci-fi, and then there are people that will say Gravity is not sci-fi. It's a drama, um, and it teeters that line. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... I think with something like Get Out, it's like, well, Jordan Peele wanted to make a horror film, but is it really a horror film? I don't remember there being many jump scares. I remember feeling uncomfortable. I remember there being a lot of social commentary. It's a different type of horror. Right. So. And I think that's sort of intentional to what the film is. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I think if Academy members really like something when they see it, it's not like they all meet together and say, oh, well, we can't nominate this because it's a sci-fi or we can't do this because it's animated. I mean, it's just what clicks and what doesn't. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host, Brendan, and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays 
called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InCessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. All right, let's move over to some news very quickly. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in talks to direct Ed Starr in a musical comedy with Channing Tatum. Did everyone here see John, Don John? Unfortunately. I, I, I agree. There are some problems with that film, but I mean... Are we kind of sold on Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a quote-unquote director? Meh. I'm sure he has ability. I uh, Look, I'm more excited by the musical element than Joseph Gordon-Levitt directing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this, really. The story is following two pilots who crash land in Las Vegas. Uh, it's been it's something of like uh, Pitch Perfect meets Book of Mormon. Supposedly is what I've been hearing about it. And I don't know. I, I just hope it's not too cheeky. I love musicals and news like this is good for the genre. But if we're going to have a resurgence of the movie musical, I almost want it to be more of the classical sense, like something closer to La La Land or even hearkening back to the MGM era type of uh, just straightforward musical. I don't want this to be something mocking the genre. If you're going to do something with it, well, the funny thing is, is they, Channing Tatum and Joseph Gordon-Levitt have been talking for years about remaking Guys and Dolls, which is what I thought this was. And I guess they've tossed aside that idea. Um, I, I, jukebox musicals can work if you're working with good songs and you have a, a good story, a la Moulin Rouge. But a lot of people are saying, oh, it's going to be an R-rated musical. Okay, well, what does that mean? You're just going to get songs with like f-bombs in them i don't know i i'm really not the concept of something that's using pitch perfect meets book of mormon does not inspire confidence because book of mormon has a good story and good songs pitch perfect has an okay story and decent interpretations of songs you know those two things really don't seem like they have any similarities other than they're popular yeah uh another story here Looks like Fox Searchlight is going to have uh, Robert Redford and Casey Affleck starring in uh, Old Man and the Gun, which is apparently going to be uh, directed uh, by David Lowry. Um, the story is Forrest Tucker, played by Redford, has been on the wrong side of the law since he was a teen. He grew into a career bank robber who broke out of prison 18 times, including a daring escape from San Quentin at age 70. The film covers his twilight years and an unprecedented string of daring heists that confounded authorities and enchants the public. Wrapped up in this uh, chase are a detective, played by Affleck, who becomes captivated with Forrest's commitment to his craft, and a woman, played by Sissy Spacek, who loves him in spite of his chosen profession. Uh, it looks like also the film is also starring Danny Glover, uh, Tika Sumter, uh, and Isaiah Whitlock um, with Tom Waits and uh, Elizabeth Moss in negotiations to star. This is being touted as uh, Redford's last movie, if memory serves. Wasn't like his last movie, quote unquote, his last movie? No, I think this one, when uh, he was promoting Pete's Dragon, he said that it was, uh, he has one with Jane Fonda that they're going to release that's already in the can, and then he's going to film this, and then he's done. 
he'll direct. He's, he said he'll direct. Yeah, but he doesn't want to mm-hmm. act anymore, which is sad. Well, I think the story sounds like it's a, a, a good fit for him, uh, if anything. It sounds like it could be something interesting. We'll see. I mean, David Lowry did a great job on Pete's Dragon, but he also goes back to that uh, very indie uh, mold that he seems to enjoy. He has the Casey Affleck Rooney Mara project that premiered. Oh, Ghost at, uh, Story! Sundance. That looks so, so exciting. Yes. So excited to watch that trailer. I'm just excited to see anything about that. And I mean, when he worked with Lowry on Pete's Dragon, they had some success. So we'll see. I really. Know I will go about see this. this movie and just ignore certain people are in this film. Um, I'll do what I normally. Yeah, Kate, yeah Sissy Spacek, that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'll just do what I normally do and just put Army Hammer's face on a popsicle stick and just hold it up to the screen every time Casey Affleck shows up. And that'll that'll hopefully negate the issues that I have there. Uh, now I picture Kristen going to the movie theater with like a Ziploc bag of uh, yes, with all my, with her yeah, Oh my God, I'm going to do this now, you guys. It's like Michael Fassbender here, Oscar It'll Isaac be like there. a flat Stanley type of thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, moving on to uh, the next story here. Kristen Wiig is uh, in talks to star with Kate Blanchett in Richard Linklater's uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Very exciting. Um, the story follows an architect turned recluse named Bernadette Fox, played by Kate Blanchett, who goes missing prior to a family trip in Antarctica. Her 15-year-old daughter, B narrates the story and goes on a quest with Bernadette's husband to find her. Uh, Wig would be uh, portraying a family neighbor, Audrey, an uptight mother who annoys uh, Bernadette. Um, I don't believe, yeah, no, this is not, um, this has not gone into, uh, production yet, uh, obviously, but. This summer it'll start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the idea of, uh, Kate Blanchett and Kristen Wiig teaming up with Richard Linklater definitely is, uh, enticing though. Absolutely. It seems like Kristen Wiig is going to have a very, very good year, in my opinion. She has the Alexander Payne film downsizing toward the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, she's always interesting. Once she took off with Bridesmaids, it's just uh, been very interesting to see her pick projects that you wouldn't normally expect. All right. And then we also have here uh, Brie Larson set to play the first female White House candidate, uh, Victoria Woodhull, in uh, a film from Amazon Studios. Um, It's going to be, I think the working title right now is Victoria Woodhull. Um, Brie Larson is poised to produce the film. And it instantly is like my it? top three most anticipated thing of all time. So Ben Coppett, who wrote the Warner Brothers film Libertine that has Brett Ratner attached to direct, Ben Coppett will be the one writing the okay. script. Apparently, I don't think there is a director attached to this yet. You got scared. I was going to say Brett Ratner was the director, didn't you? <laughs> oh, my God. Either way, the fact that Brett Ratner, Ratner's rubbing sweaty shoulders with this movie is just not inspiring confidence. The fact that I just brought up Brett Ratner on the podcast is a damn miracle in and of itself. <laughs> I, I hate that man so much. Uh, I hated him when I was a teenager, and he ruined X-Men for me, and I hate him today. I thought he stopped directing and was on a one-man crusade to take down Rotten Tomatoes. I heard about that. That was so funny. <laughs> uh, I'm no Brett Ratner fan in terms of his films, but I do have to give him credit as a businessman because what he's done with Rat Pack is pretty great. <laughs> okay, and the last bit of the podcast here today, we have uh, one final trailer to talk about here. Uh, this is costume uh, drama slash thriller uh, starring Rachel Weiss. It's called My Cousin Rachel. I've written to you several times. 
but there is no one I can trust to take my letters to the mail. She is away from the house today. That's why I'm able to write this. For weeks I've been ill, fevers, terrible headaches, but she watches me like a hawk. Believe nothing but this. She'll ruin me. She'll ruin everything. Look, Rachel, my torment. She has done for me at last. Whatever it costs my cousin, in pain and suffering before he died, I will return with full measure upon the woman that caused it. She's here. What are you going to do with her? Confront her. Come in. Won't you sit down for a moment? I believe had I been here, my cousin would still be alive. Drink. He didn't trust anyone at the end. And I found myself living with a stranger and wanted to hurt me. I've been doing a little asking around. She's notorious. Do you understand? Try. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's good for the house. You need to read the letter. You must have hated me. You're not the woman I hated. I don't know why you came. I don't know anything about you. All I know is that I like it now you're here. I'll go to bed like a good boy. Go. How easy it must be for a woman like Rachel to twist you around her little finger. You know nothing about her. Or is it you who know nothing? I want you to be my wife. Have you gone out of your mind? Where do you go? Can't you let me be a person in my own right? A woman who's making her way in the world as she wishes. You're completely infatuated with her. You're delusional. Stay away from me. Don't close the door. I cannot be alone with you. I've been worried about you. The headache, the sickness. This is a special batch. I've made it double straight. You can lose everything. Everything. Drink. So the most interesting thing about this trailer to me is that this is set to open two months before The Beguiled comes out. Ooh, that's a and bad I get. <laughs> yeah. Wait, two months before? Yeah, in June. This comes out in June, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? The Beguiled come out in August? No, in June. Whatever. Uh, two weeks. Two weeks before. That's what I meant to say. Two weeks before. So we might have another um, prestige, illusionist, deep impact Armageddon scenario Well, wait, here. wait, wait. Two totally different titles. Totally different source materials. Who's directing this one? Uh, Roger Michel, who did Hyde Park on Hudson. Okay, so you have a male director. I'm assuming male screenwriter? Uh... Yeah. Kristen, Kristen, they're both period costume dramas that look like they have thriller oh, aspects, of, all right? Okay, I was going to say, that that's pretty much what you're saying. Story similarities, they're, they have very little in common. I, I'm oh, yeah, say- yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm just saying based upon the genre. It's like, like I said, the, the comparisons I use between Deep Impact and Armageddon I and don't, uh, I don't and think Prestige. it's going to be nearly as fraught as you think it is. Really? Because, keep in mind, costume dramas are... Marketed predominantly to women, yes. But The Beguiled is coming at this from a totally different standpoint of it's got a well-respected director, screenwriter, telling a feminist story that is well-known to cinephiles because it was remade as, originally initiated as a Clint Eastwood film. My Cousin Rachel, while based on 
a well-known book, and originally I think it was made in like the 40s or the 50s. Most cinephiles aren't going to recall that very much. The director's not necessarily name recognition. You have the actors, but again, they're not of the caliber of the cast that Sofia Coppola's got. So, I mean, yes, I think audiences will find something enjoyable in both, but I don't think they're going to be duking each other out for box office dollars. Oh, no, I think Beguiled's going to absolutely kill this in the box office. And I also think critically as well. Um, What I'm mostly getting at with this one, though, is that um, costume dramas don't tend to usually work for me. But I was really taken in with just, I guess, the seductive mystery of the story. And also, too, um, I, I actually thought the film had above average cinematography based upon the shots I saw in the trailer. Um. It doesn't look like a. It doesn't look bland. I guess it depends if you're a fan of a uh, Daphne Du Maurier. Uh, no, I, I'm a fan of Rachel Weiss. I think that she is um, very underrated, and I really thought she came somewhat close last year, being on the fringe with films like Denial and The Light Between Oceans. Um, I I think she's probably going to get another nomination at some point. Don't you all agree? No, Rachel, I, I don't know if she's going to get another nomination because Rachel Weisz, I always say, seems on the cusp all the time. And then she makes mm. like a bad film decision and it's mm-hmm. just right back down to, I mean, I think she likes making the smaller indie productions, but it seems like she's been on the precipice of greatness f- since The Mummy and she's never really leapt, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's funny, though, because I rewatched The Constant Gardener recently, and I really don't understand what it was about that film that made everybody go nuts for her that year. I think it was just because she was the predominant female. And, and I say that as somebody who enjoys the film. Um, mm-hmm. But her performance is, yeah, you kind of... I, I honestly think it's because she's the only woman in that cast. She has some agent. She's got agency... I honestly, I maintain The Constant Gardener would have been a better movie if it had been told from her perspective. I, I actually agree with that uh, to a certain degree. I, I, I just don't understand, like, how she won for that. And I feel like she's had uh, stronger performances um, since then. Yeah. But uh, I, I, she's an actress that I really, really do like and appreciate. Um, and Ian Glenn's in this uh, movie, and who else just wants to hear him just say, Khaleesi, in his uh, very deep British voice. I mean, he's not going to say it in this movie, obviously, but, I mean, come on, man's got a sexy voice. Unless Daphne du Maurier was way ahead of her time in the 40s. <laughs> yeah, go look up Rebecca and the Birds now and look for those Game of Thrones references. Yeah, I- I'll-, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll see what I can find. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, anything else anybody wants to touch upon before we get out of here? I think that covers it. I didn't hear any news this week since I was off the grid for a while, so uh, unless there's anything you could think of, I'm good. Yeah, I could think of a view to tell us where we could find you on Twitter, Michael. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. And where can we find you, Kristen? I am on Twitter at Journeys underscore film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to episode 31 of the Next Best Picture podcast. No reviews this week on iTunes. Hmm. So, hate to say it, people. The HD giveaway is going away for another time. I will at some point pull it out again, but can't keep offering it every week, people. But you can feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable, by the way. Uh, You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud. You can subscribe to us on TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM. 
Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.